Animusings podcast. Open the castle gates so that the children of the world can experience Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> um, that was actually my attempt at paraphrasing what happened when they lowered the drawbridge for the first time at Sleeping Beauty Castle. Aww. I heard that. I mean, I've never experienced it because that was in the 1950s, but, you know. That's, I was wondering what we were going to do for that, but that actually, yeah, very it's thank you. It's short and sweet and to the point. Hey, it's September. Welcome back to Animusings, everybody. Uh, Hi. It's your old friends David and Kayla. Hello. And we're here to talk about Sleeping Beauty, which was nineteen fifty nine. Nine. Really? Yes. Fifty nine. Fifty nine. Wow. Okay. J- came out January 29th, nineteen fifty nine. You know what's interesting is when you realize that when Disneyland opened in fifty five, they already had Sleeping Beauty Castle. But Sleeping Beauty hadn't come out yet. Yeah, I, I can't wait to tell you about the production. <laughs> you've been room. you've been cryptically hinting about something like this for a while, so I'm very very curious about what uh, what that means. But well, before we get into that, let's talk about first off what is our history with Sleeping Beauty. Okay, uh, well this was one I this is one I did own as a kid. Our dog just bumped her head on the table, and I'm pretty sure the mic picked that up. You okay, Gracie? She's laying down. She she doesn't seem to mind. She's made of stern stuff, Gracie is. Now, um, I did own this one on VHS, and I watched it quite a bit um, as a kid, and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I not as, It's not as high on my list as films, like, for me as a kid, as, like, Peter Pan or a couple of other ones. Um, I didn't watch this one nearly as one as I watched, like, say, The Jungle Book. Uh, but um, this one holds... I mean, this is one of those ones that I very distinctly remember watching, mostly because I was so into the way the uh, the villain was, and of course this is this is Sleeping Beauty, so it has one of the all-time Disney villain greats in it. So uh, yes, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, but that's it's not much more complicated than that. I just remember watching it a lot, um, and watching it again recently, I have some renewed thoughts about this film. But uh, we'll get into that. Caleb, what do you, what's your history with uh, Sleeping Beauty? So, I know this film very, very well. Um, but not in the way where people are huge fans of it would be. Um, so, you know how, like, when in grade school you do, like, plays and all that? Right. So, we, for second grade, we did a play of Sleeping Beauty, and it was literally based off the Disney film. And because I was basically the only kid... Yeah, I think I, I was basically the only kid... With long blonde hair, they just put me as Sleeping Beauty. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> okay, which it's. It, I mean, that's how it went. They're like, oh yeah, we're, Kayla has long blonde hair, therefore she's Sleeping Beauty. So I got to play Sleeping Beauty as an eight-year-old. <laughs> do I remember it? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's the one thing I remember is that the kid who played Prince Philip uh, tried still a kiss for me. Like, yeah, he like he was supposed to fake it and then actually, like, did a peck. And I'm like, you could see me. There's, like, a videotape of it. You can see me, like, going, like, ew, ew. Because boys are icky. Boys are icky. It, nothing, nothing's changed, right? Boys are still icky. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, it, I mean, as I got older, like, in, as a teenager, uh, preteen mostly, like, I thought it was embarrassing as all. And I just, like, ugh. But then um, there was a point when, like, late teens, that um, a friend and I uh, that were both in that play, like, we were in second grade together, uh, rewatched it because she had the video. And we were both just n- less um, 
embarrassed about like the roles we play and more just embarrassed about the whole play itself because we realize (laughs) oh god this is a second play grade play (laughs) yeah i mean considering some of the subject matter and the certain sensibilities we now have as a modern audience while observing this film uh yeah (laughs) but uh i was able to so already because of that i kind of have i do have a bad taste in my mouth because of it but then i rewatched it some a few times growing up in even rewatching it now, I'm still not feeling it. Yeah, I still do not feel it. Okay. And there's a, there's a couple parts I appreciate now as an adult that I didn't like when I was a teenager, but I still don't feel it. And then when I looked into the history of this, like um, saw what the animation history of this was, it makes perfect sense. Mm. It makes perfect perfect sense. So. Oh yeah, so okay, now I'm very I've been I've been very curious about this. So let's talk a little bit about should we talk about the history of the film before we talk about the film itself? Or do you is this yeah, we, something you want to like keep in your pocket back pocket no, until we get to a certain no, point? No, let's let's talk about it. Cause I think knowing the history for this actually will make sense when we delve into it. Okay. So, um first off, this movie actually was prob was a let me double check this. Um I'll give some fast facts that I know off the top of my head. This is only the third movie that, so far, that's had a a princess character in it. You are correct. We had Snow White, and then we had Cinderella, who wasn't a princess until the end of it. And and then not only that, this is actually... So this is a fairy tale. The next fairy tale will not come until 30 years later with Little Mermaid. It's funny, for a a company so well-known for its, like, fairy tales, Mm -hmm. um, it's... It, it would take a while for, for us to hit the next one, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, does the Black Cauldron count? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That's it's a, it's a, a fantasy. It's a fantasy, fantasy adventure. Yeah, that's that's based off a book. Right. So. We'll, we'll talk about the Black Cauldron, of course. So I should let you know, Sleeping Beauty was the most expensive Disney animated film at that time. Really? That Yeah, it was... They spent six million on this. Wow! Considering all the other ones had what a three, four million budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's intense. And it's not because they wanted to put more effort into it. <laughs> it was okay. Development so, hell. So actually, production hell. So writing for it actually began in 1951, early 1951. Wow! This took eight years. <laughs> eight years to. What manner of production troubles did they, like, run into that made it take that long? Well, let me... So, I'm, like, trying to get up all the information, and I'm trying to figure out where to begin with this. Oh, I mean, we might as well get get it. No, 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 I know, I know. (laughs) So, um, the director... So, um, first, uh, they had... The first director they had was Wilfred Jackson. Okay. And then, by 1953, they had already recorded dialogue. They assembled a story reel, and they were almost done with preliminary animation with, uh, like, the forest and the dance scene. Um, and they were also they were planned to have it released in 1955. Which makes sense, because they were already building, again, Sleeping Beauty Castle at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. So, However, in 1953, Wilfred Jackson suffered a heart attack. Uh, sorry, in ni- December 1953, uh, Wilfred Jackson suffered a heart attack. Oh, and Eric Larson, who is one of the nine old men, had to step in as director. Okay. So, because of that, that led to more problems. Um, <laughs> uh, they had to, um, 
so with Larson as director, they the whole unit had to animate the four sequence as a moving illustration. And Disney said he didn't care how long it took. And this kept pushing back till from like Christmas 1957 to 1958. And not only that, um, one of the nine old men, um, Milk Call, yeah. kept blaming Disney, saying this is not okay because uh, he said he wouldn't have story meetings. Like Walt wouldn't have story meetings about no. this. No, and they kept saying we need to talk about the story, and he's like, no, we won't do it. And he said he wouldn't get the damn thing moving. That that's Milk Call's world words. Okay, directly. Wow. Um. Walter, Walter. Yes. I'm disappointed in you, Walter. <laughs> and then Disney actually then took away Larson as director and then replaced him with Clyde Geronimi. Mm. Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. So sure. we're now on our third, third director. Um, <laughs> and then, um, by the way, there were a lot of an- different animators that were brought on for this, and it makes sense. I mean, I saw the credits for this, so... The one, actually, you wouldn't have seen, but it, surprisingly, um, famed Warner Brothers animation director Chuck Jones. <laughs> Chuck Jones? Briefly worked on this. <laughs> Briefly. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Man, if I had known that, I'd be looking to see if I could call out what looked like a Chuck Jones moment. So... Uh, he was there briefly because at the time, um, Termite Terrace closed temporarily. Temporarily, he said he hated working at Walt Disney Productions. He found it oppressive because every everything anyone did there had to be approved by Walt Disney before, during, and after production, and he hated that. Mm. So when Warner's animation department reopened, he bolted. I figured. You know what? I, I keep thinking to myself as we've gone through this series. I'm gonna go ahead and straight up say this: Walt was. Definitely a hard ass. Oh, yeah. Like, no doubt in my mind this guy was a hard ass. So. Oh, yeah. So, um... I'm disappointed in you, Walt. Like, you said, you mentioned, like, Fantasia was, um... A lot of Fantasia uh, was in this film. Or it felt like a lot of Fantasia. Like, there's various pieces that feel like Fantasia. Well, Kay, Kay Nielsen, uh, who actually did the, the sketches who that were the basis for Night on Bald, Bald Mountain mm-hmm. for Fantasia, which yeah. was, a uh, actually uh, produced styling sketches for the film in 1952. Uh-huh. And then... Um, Not Mountain is the best segment anyway, so... <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, then they brought in uh, Ivan Earl, who did... Uh, who was a background painter for Peter Pan, and then eventually uh, they they basically gave him, uh, like, a promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the reason why... Uh, there, this whole art, a lot of it feels like a Renaissance painting because he took influence from Italian Renaissance. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so just people's direction and ideas and stuff were just like all over the place with this one? Mm-hmm. Man. And, uh, like, I mean, I'm reading through this right now and uh, uh, it, it's just... Uh, they didn't, like, uh, Frank Thomas would complain that this, his style was very rigid, and, uh, this became problematic when working with, because uh, it's seemed more problematic compared to working with Mary Blair's style, and then, um, uh, Ken Anderson also complained, I had to fight myself to make myself draw this way, like in this I- Italian Renaissance style. Mm-hmm. I did notice, I mean, it is pretty distinctly noticeable, like, the characters have, are more angular- than they normally would be, you know? They've got, like, 
the way the lines are on them. And, and you notice it, like you notice it right away, just the way that the characters look. There's a Disney look to them, but there's definitely a more distinct uh, style, stylized difference with this one. Like I was even saying at the beginning how different this felt compared to Lady and the Tramp. Which is gorgeous, by the way. I mean, they're both gorgeous in their own right, but Lady and the Tramp has a certain, like, a certain style to it that is just absolutely, like, dripping with, with detail. And I love that. Whereas, like, you look at the characters in this, and I notice this is a, a Renaissance painting thing. The colors are very flat. Yeah. All the characters are done in flat colors. There's no, uh, like, nuances to their, like, to the shading. There's no real shading in any other places on them. Like, once you hit a swatch of color on, like, a, on, like, a, their hair or the skin, it's, like, one solid color. So that's that's interesting to me. And then um, that's why it was so... But anyway, this is why it was so expensive. There's so much change. Nobody could agree on anything. And also, by the way, this was the first film that Don Bluth worked on as for Disney. He was only a, an assistant to one of the animators, John Lonsberry. Really? Yeah. This is in 59, so... Yeah. So uh, he was, again, just only an assistant, but... Right, but like, how old would that have made Bluth at the time? I, have I mean, we'll worry about that later. I think we we we've we've spent like fifteen minutes. I mean, not not that's a bad thing. This is important because we haven't encountered a film that's hit this much production hell, right? Oh yeah, oh like, yeah. This is this is interesting considering how fluidly everything. Else, well, not fluid. Not everything else has gone this fluidly. It seems like it's interesting because we as we delve into this, we see how tumultuous things would get at the Disney Studio. So so um, Sleeping Beauty flopped. <laughs> oh no it i mean here's uh, the thing it actually received uh mixed to positive reviews yeah critics but it flopped because um it only made 5.3 million oh it fell short yeah but what saved it is the re-releases right of course so altogether through those it gathered 51.6 million which is great i'm very glad that it was able to save them but Wow. <laughs> like, wow. Hey, not every movie can be a smashing success like Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> but, but, uh, but like hearing this, I was like, this makes sense to me. So you, you, you kind of grasp like, you, you know, I, now that you've mentioned it, I can see it too. Yeah. Stylistically, there's a lot about this movie that's very different in places. And I've yeah, never quite put my finger on it. But now I've got that in my head, and we, as we talk, go into the movie, we can definitely talk about it. Especially that you mentioned Don, Don Bluth was at least an assistant mm-hmm. on this. You can see where he got, I think in particular of the goons, Maleficent's goons. Yeah. Those are very blue, th- those would probably have a big influence on Don Bluth later, l- later down the yeah. line, those designs. Mm-hmm. Think about like a troll in Central Park and. Oh God. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> hey, if we ever get to Don Bluth, we're going to have to talk about a troll in Central Park. I, I don't want to watch the, okay. That's years. Years down Literally years. So Kayla and I, before we started recording this, we took a look at our animation schedule. We won't be getting to Moana until like early 2022 at this rate. <laughs> so. And keep in mind, we Wreck It Ralph two is coming out soon, as of our recording. Yeah. This. So we're gonna, we'll definitely, there will be a few films out by the time we get uh, to Moana. Yeah. So. And then there's probably, yeah, exactly. Then there's gonna be more to watch after that. Right. So anyway, back to this film. I guess we can start talking about it. All right. Yeah. Wow. But thank you for the 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 history breakdown as usual. Yeah. Like I was reading through it, and I'm like, wow, this just sounds like a mess. I mean, it makes sense because the credit sequence was a little longer than normal. The opening credits, it yeah. felt like. Um, beautiful backgrounds on it, of course. But like, I'm gonna be saying that a lot because I feel like the backgrounds just get more and more exquisite. But 
Interestingly enough, I think I'm. there were more moments where I was more drawn to the background work in Lady and the Tramp than I was to this. Yes. And that's a stylistic. Yes. There's nothing wrong but, but with the backgrounds he, in this. It's here's just, the problem with this. And I will... Say it. Be, be honest. There's too many different styles in this. The, each <laughs> style is really good. No, don't get me wrong. I right. love the idea of the Inta- Italian Renaissance... I love the idea of the Italian Renaissance style. The Italian Renaissance styles. It's it's really cool, but it's not consistent. Like there are parts where you're like, okay, this is like when you look at Maleficent's castle, which we'll get into later. It's not anything like all the other animation styles, and it's conflicting. Okay. So it's a little jarring. It is. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's whereas go. when you look at like the lo- okay, so let's let's start with the very first bit because like you go past the credits. And the usual people are there. We've already talked about them in the history. Yeah. Special process by Byworks again. Uh, we'll. Uh, oh, oh! One thing we should mention is the music. Oh, so uh, George Bruns did the music, uh, but it's adapted from the work of Tchaikovsky, who wrote the a ballet for Sleeping Beauty and did the music for it. Correct. Now this is the same Tchaikovsky who also did uh, the Nutcracker Suite and various other. We've already talked about Tchaikovsky's work because of um, Fantasia. Yes. Now, um, one of the things that Bruns had to work with was writing songs based off the music. Yeah. So basically, he gave lyrics to these songs. So like Once Upon a Dream, which is the most iconic song in this, always existed as a piece of music Tchaikovsky wrote. So you really got to hand it to George Bruns to like actually have come up with lyrics to go along with a, an existing piece of classical music like mm-hmm. this and make it work. It. I got to give it this. The music is lovely. And we have Tchaikovsky to thank for that. Yeah, it is lovely. But here's another thing about it, though. It's lovely, but here's... I, I, it took Don't me be afraid to be critical. I am... Okay. I love Tchaikovsky's music in this. It is very lovely. It yes. is lovely to listen to. Yeah. But then I realized, how often do I hum this? Um... Like, or do I sing along with this? Hum, yeah. But yeah, like, I, I will... Yeah, it's that's a fair That's a fair point. I mean, because what it, you, you will randomly break into other Disney songs more than you'll break into, say, Once Upon a Dream or yeah. Health to the Princess, Wealth to the Princess, or, or, or Scumps. Scumps. A toast to the night. We'll get to that. Um, I, I'm, some of the, I, I think some of the background music sticks with me, and we'll, like, yeah. some of it does, some pieces in particular, and I'll get to, we'll get to those as they come up, mm-hmm. I guess. It's interesting because because uh, some pieces did get repurposed from, like, what they were in the original musical to for different scenes. Um, one that sticks out in my mind are, is affiliated with Maleficent, but we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the very beginning, we have a book opening, which yes. is, we haven't seen in a while. Real life book opening. Or did, wait, did we see that just recently? It wasn't in... Not Lady and the Tramp. No, Cin- did Cin- Cinderella had yes, that. Yes, Cinderella right. did have that. So that's your good sign that we're doing a fairy, fairy tale. tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a narrator this time, which is different. Well, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. In Cinderella, we also had a narrator. Yes, we Telling did. us about the book. Um... But the narrator sets up our story where we have King Stefan and the nameless queen. The queen is never named. Uh, they wanted a child for ages and finally they give birth to Aurora, who they name after the dawn. Because she brought sunshine to their life. Aww. That is actually... Aurora is actually a beautiful name. It is, actually. I I, yeah. I, I like the name Aurora. But it's it's funny. There's a couple of... um. Now, I'm not going to lie. There's a couple of funny parts in this. Like, there's a point where... She's born, so everybody's coming to this, uh, like, christening of, or I think it's a christening? Christening, yeah. Christening, whatever. Uh, She's being baptized, so they all have to come out. (laughs) Basically, this princess has been born, let's all look at her. 
And then there's like a young Prince Philip, and you hear the narrator say he looks upon his future <laughs> that bride. Funny and he gives like a face, which is like, this is hilarious because this is like some five year old kid who's looking at this baby and being told, like, you're going to marry her one day. Ew. 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 <laughs> Uh, one thing I will say, uh, for, uh, for this bit is already you can get a sense that Philip has a little bit of a personality. Yeah. Not much. I mean, but it's like, kind of nice that they introduce, they introduce him this early and then later on we'll get to know him a little better, but. I'm not going to lie. At least with, I mean, he doesn't have much of one, but it's more than our last two princes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, did it's, it, I'm, I'm kind of shocked because I think didn't, didn't Prince Charming in, uh, or Prince What's His Bucket. <laughs> from uh uh cinderella didn't have did he did he have dialogue other he than did. singing i can't remember he did because he's like wait where will i find you please please wait you that, know? that's all we ever hear from him well, uh, pretty much other than the singing yeah it, it's very little so anyway uh then we have our uh, there we get introduced to our three fairies and let's face it guys the whole story is about them it's yeah, we, we, we kept bringing this up during the thing. And this is something I realized I got older. Uh, the movie's called Sleeping Beauty. The movie's about flora, fauna, and Meriwether. So it's about three, uh, reasonably competent, but kind of bumbling older women who are, who happen to have magical powers, who, uh, uh, try some stuff and mess up and ultimately have to be the ones to save the day in the end. Yep. So, um, and we more will, power to them. They're great. We, we will, <laughs> we will prove this throughout the move, throughout this discussion. But, uh, yes, the, Characters are Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether. Flora is being voiced by uh, Verna Felton, returning once again. Veteran Verna Fel- Felton. Who is awesome. Yes. Uh, Fauna? I, her name is... I, I don't really know this voice. Is she... Is she I mean, I... You wouldn't... N- we not, wouldn't know her. She's n- not been... Like, her, what was her name? It's not familiar to me at all. Um, uh, I mean, it's just fair. You know, fair is fair. But, like, yeah, Verna Felton... If you recall, we've heard a few times as uh, various people. She was most recently um, Aunt Sarah, right? Yes, she was Aunt she Sarah. She was Aunt Sarah. Before that, she was a few other parts. Uh, uh, so the voice actress for her is, uh, for Fauna, is Barbara Jo Allen. Okay. I I want to give her credit because she, I mean, again, all of these, all of these voice actresses, they they make they they bring the characters out. They you, really do. You you'll only see her again once in the Sword in the Stone as the scullery maid. Okay, I, that's it. I don't. We'll we'll keep an ear out. Mm-hmm. And then Meriwether is... is voiced by Barbara Luddy, who we just heard as a lady in Lady and <laughs> the Tramp, which is quite humorous. I I've come to realize I have a love for Meriwether. I love her sarcasm. I love her like. Like I love her cattiness. It's she, she's the little she's the little thunderhead of the group. Yeah. Like Flora Flora's kind of the Flora well the her leader. and Flora she's the leader, but they both clash, like her and Meriwether. And Fauna's just kinda in the middle being kind of spacey. Yeah. And I love that. They mm-hmm. they these fairies are great. They have personality for days. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, I'm I'm with you on Meriwether. And also we were joking because you mentioned that it was the same voice actress. Um, so they land and they go to make their, them, you know, they go to introduce themselves to the king and queen and go to see the baby. And and Meriwether looks in there and and I and I immediately went, "What is a baby anyway? <laughs> <laughs> what is a baby, Meriwether? <laughs> what are you doing?" I had a flashback. <laughs> in uh, a past life in the future, somehow I was a dog because after all, this is the 14th century. <laughs> 
So they start giving their gifts. They've come to give gifts to the baby Aurora. So, and um, Flora's gift is the gift of beauty. Well, great. She's going to be good looking, I guess. What a... Okay. Yay. Okay. Um, I will say, I do like the moments when they're casting the spells and we get sequences that feel very uh, reminiscent to me of um, the Tsukata and Fugue in D minor in Fantasia. Just kind of very interesting animation, colors swirling and more symbolic than anything else. I like it. I like the way things move. I like the way it looks. See, that I can understand having different animation because it is a... It's a spell scene, or it's a, it, and it's very lovely. Um, Fauna comes in and says, "I give her the gift of song, which means which is an actual practical gift, so, not that beauty isn't." But. Well, kind of. I mean, it's like <laughs> beauty. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but song. It means she can <laughs> sing really well. It's true. Which she certainly uses that gift. I mean, she can use it. It's like. We didn't realize how good her singing voice would be because later on you realize, oh, she sings well enough that she can conjure animals to do her bidding. Uh, just like Snow White. Yeah. And Cinderella, actually. So this here's the thing, people. When people say, oh, I give you the gift of song or you have a beautiful voice, the idea behind it, it means that they're, they have the power to control animals with their voices. Animal summoning. It's a good talent. So yeah, we get some, <laughs> some trippy nightingales flying around in, in that bit. And then... Uh, before Meriwether King. Now, what do you think Meriwether was going to give? Well, a lot of people had theorized that it would be like wisdom or, which honestly would be. Which she needs. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, actually, uh, in recent DVD commentary, uh, they said it was going to be the gift of happiness. You know, that's kind of nice. That is actually. That's really, another practical that's gift. A, that's a really nice gift. Like, Just having a general happy disposition. Yeah. That is actually a really nice gift. I, I was actually joking with David. I said, um, dang it, if it weren't for Maleficent, she could have given her the gift of a personality. <laughs> Maleficent, you know, if they hadn't snubbed Maleficent, maybe she would have rolled and been like, I give you the gift of understanding how messed up this system is. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, though, that's about, the, uh, speaking of Maleficent, here comes uh, everyone's favorite party crasher. Oh. One of the all-time greatest Disney villains. She is so amazing. Voiced by Eleanor Audley. Eleanor Audley, so amazing. By the way, I got a fun fact here. Like, this is how much of a badass she is. Okay. Um. So, Eleanor Audley originally said no. Really? But there was a reason why. Okay. Uh, Audley was battling tuberculosis. Oh. And didn't want to tax her voice too much. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Luckily, she was able to recover. So she says, I'm not, she focused on trying to get herself better. And she did and was able to take on this amazing role. So. That's, that's friggin' cool. Because you know what? I can, I don't know if she had more fun doing this role than, say, Lady Tremaine, but. Gosh, she just chews scenery like nobody's business, but like it's in the, it's in a way that's like really subtle and commanding. And then when she laughs, she just sounds so like sinister. And when she's mad, like she, her presence just with her voice is amazing, but it's coupled with this amazing character design and animation. She appears with green fire. She's got the creepy giant horns and on her headdress and this long, great face and by, by the way fun facts so the look of maleficent was actually inspired by the character vampira <laughs> no <it> gets better <laughs> and cool. uh, uh mela nermi or myla nermi the actress who played vampira 
Yeah. Took the inspiration for Vampyra from Morticia Adams and the Evil Queen from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <sighs> oh, it all comes full circle. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I can see that. Um, man, her outfit is cool. Yeah. Giant. Oh, and then of course we, we, we should, special nod should be given to, uh, Maleficent's Raven, whose name is Diablo. Yes. Who is the most confident henchman or minion? Henchbird. Henchbird ever. Like, yeah. Holy Moses. You know what I really love is it seems like, um, there's some real mutual respect between Diablo and Maleficent, honestly. Ooh, like, like, these two, these two, like, actually, like, respect and work together oh, really yeah. well oh yeah so he comes in and perches on her staff like a cool guy and on her shoulder um but yeah she, yeah she's been snubbed and um in terms of courtly like obviously this was probably uh the straw that broke the camel's back yeah so we don't know much about maleficent prior to this obviously it's a fairy tale so it's not super deep but it's implied that you know she's been around for a while She's done this whole evil shtick for probably longer than King Stefan and the and, Queen have been alive. And honestly, I think she has certain authority, too, because the Queen actually says, you're not mad, Your Excellency? Like, you're like, whoa, whoa. She just, like, the Queen called Malefic- Maleficent Your Excellency. My, for, I want to guess that it wasn't the Queen's idea that she wasn't invited. I bet it was Stefan. Stefan was like, oh, we shouldn't invite this person. And the Queen couldn't care less. Yeah. I mean, for me, maybe she's like, nope. Stefan, make sure you invite everyone, including the creepy dragon lady from the Forbidden Mountain. Yes, yes, we don't want to invite her. And she eats all the party favors and she just... And that bird always craps on the floor. <laughs> so... um. Of course, she gives the curse that start snowballs this whole thing, which is... Uh, you weren't wanted. Oh, Meriwether makes it worse, by the way. Says, you, you weren't wanted. wanted. Ouch. Ooh, you weren't invited to a baby shower. Again, in terms of in terms of courtly manners, that's a huge, like, you're the lowest of the low. And this is someone who considers herself and, an equal, if not better, than the monarchy. And not only that, like, Maleficent even said, everybody is here. Yeah, literally everybody in the kingdom got invited. I'm assuming her her mountain fortress falls into that jurisdiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she curses baby Aurora by saying, on her 16th birthday, she will prick her finger on a spinning wheel and die. Dun, dun. Very specific curse. I, I like how weirdly specific that curse is. <laughs> it's pretty good. So yeah, specifically like, yeah, I, I, maybe it's a thing like, oh, she'll have to learn to sew with a spinning wheel. So of course it'll make sense that she'll prick her finger and, and die. So, um, um, I guess, I guess when you weave a curse, it has to be specific. You have mm-hmm. to like find a weird specific detail. I don't know. It's a fairy tale. So think of it with the mind of a child. Yes. Except we're two grown adults who have to look at this <laughs> film critically. So anyway. Oh boy. Yeah. Throughout the, th- throughout this whole movie, I was like, David, there's another flaw. There's another story flaw. Anyway. Fairy uh, tales are hard. But then again. No, this is a, this had. We could, we could, ju- some fairy tales are told, I think, better. I think Snow White is a better told story, same, to be honest. Same. And honestly, even yeah, I even told you, like, um, with certain, like, fairy tales and their flaws, I was able to understand them. This had way too many for me. But anyway. Um, so the curse is put down. So Meriwether, who sadly could not give the uh, gift of a personality unto Aurora, <laughs> um, 
uh, <laughs> gives her the gift. Savage. Of, gives her the gift of uh, basically the gift of narcolepsy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. So instead of de- like basically twists the curse. So instead of dying, she would just be put under a deep sleep that can only be uh, broken if the uh, if she is awakened by true love's kiss. Now, again, weirdly specific. Like, the circumstances have to be just right for that to, to for her to pull that off. Yeah, it's like, you could have thought of something more... Maybe, let's just assume the fairies know more about the nuances of magic than we do. I'll, I'll accept that. Okay. You know what? Same, same with Maleficent. Because have... we've... Uh, look, I know people who... And I know the remake made them out to be just complete and utter idiots. We are... Okay. Which is annoying. And we're not talking about the remake. I'm just saying... They bumble a bit, but they are reasonably competent fairies. So yeah, that's the thing. Well, here's the thing: uh, like after this all happens, they get together and try to figure out how are we going to stop this. And then they realize they realize they need I, to get together and do this because King Stefan's solution is we have to destroy the sewing industry, literally burn every spinning wheel in the entire freaking kingdom. So um, they're all talking. Everybody sews by hand from now on. Yep, <laughs> you just ruined a whole career there. For a lot of people. Yep. Nice job, Stefan. Anyway. Anyway. So they try to figure out a way to stop her. Uh, one way, and this kind of reveals a little bit into Maleficent's uh, backstory. They said, we'll turn. Flora comes up with the idea of let's turn her into a flower until. So sh- that way she'll never turn into. Or she'll, she can't prick her finger. And we'll just keep her that way until 16 years pass. But then Meriwether's like, well, until Maleficent sends her frost. frost. So she always ruins your nicest flower. It's like, I oh. love this. Like, I love the idea that she, that Maleficent has this really petty vendetta she carries against the three and just every so often I just sends little problems their way. I feel like there is something more between them and her. Because the fairies are really invested. They're the three good fairies. Yeah, but they're very invested with this one girl. And I feel like they... I think they think it's their fault. They, what, like, those throw because, oh, well, it's like, clearly Meriwether's fault because they could have at least made an excuse to Maleficent. Like, if she hadn't said you weren't wanted, they could have at least told her, yeah, we, we sent you the invitation. Didn't you get it in the mail? Maybe the courier fell off of that drawbridge with no safety railings into your castle. Do you ever think about that? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's almost like there, I think there was something... Between those three, like those three and Maleficent, and Maleficent's like, oh no, I'm doing this to get back at you guys, rather than... It's not, like, it's not actually something against I feel like the king. I feel like they're just pawns. Like they're the just- royal family, like this is just something, some long, long-brewing uh, rivalry between the fairies, and Maleficent just is one of those people who always has to turn everything up to 11. Yes. <laughs> so, it, they come up with an even, another idea, which is, let's hide her away, and the fairies would take care of her until her 16th birthday. This scene has a, a detail I noticed, by the way. They're all, they had to shrink in size to talk about this in like a little cupboard type thing. Again, exquisite it's- detail. Uh, but one thing I noticed was in the previous scene, during the court scene, there was no shadows, like no one cast a shadow on the floor. I'm like, okay, I wonder if that's a stylistic thing with the, you know, the animation, because it's like a painting, you know? Mm-hmm. Then you have them up in this room while the, the fire from the, the bonfire outside with the spinning wheels is burning, and it's casting a bright light into the room, and there's very detailed shadows behind them as they're sitting there talking about things. And I'm like, that's also interesting, that only in direct light, but I, this is before you told me about the, the differences of animation and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that, how deliberate that, that 
that it choice wasn't. was, and I it, don't think it was. Sometimes there's shadows, sometimes there's not. Anyway, um, but yeah. So yeah, they have this plan. They decide to disguise themselves as just like women raising this girl in an old woodcutter's cottage. Yep, that they just happen to know about. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. Oh, they very they're very adamant. Uh, Flora is very adamant about no magic. Yes. Because obviously Maleficent. Maleficent, being a high-level wizard, has a detect magic spell constantly cast. <laughs> I, and I think, because there was a point, it's like, why couldn't they have just pulled, like, let her stay with her fa- parents? But then I'm like, you know, this I can excuse. They're trying to keep her hidden from Maleficent. As right. long as they keep her hidden from Maleficent, then she can't find her and then cause her to die. Because well, the thing is, the thing they mentioned, too, is like it could have been she could have pricked her finger at any time. Yeah. During that. So, you know, Maleficent would be acting pretty quickly to be like, OK, burning spinning wheels is one thing, but she's Maleficent. She'll find a way. So we have until the sun sets on her 16th birthday to keep her safe. If Maleficent has no idea where she is, there's no chance that oh, Aurora is going to stumble into a spinner, a spinning. Exactly. So. But the OK, there's more flaw. The, it's like that I, I can get behind now and I understand. There's still more story for right, us, though. Right. But, like, like I hadn't thought about that until we I, I just started talking about it. But, yeah, they li- they didn't said it has to be on the sunset on her 16th birthday. That's the time yeah, the, frame. The, so they have until then to sort yeah. of, like, make sure she stays safe. Um, but, yeah, they smuggle. They smuggle. They, they run it past the king and queen. And I guess they're cool with this plan. And they smuggle her off into the night. And, and we jump to 16 years later. And... Or 15, yeah, 16 years later. 16, it's her 16th birthday right now, uh, mm-hmm. when, when it opens up. And here's one of the things I've come to realize. These three women have been raising her for 16 years. So they're basic, she sees them as like mother figures. This is like, like, she would hardly know. Like by that time, it's like, she doesn't know about King Stefan and his, and her mother. This is, these would be her family. Right. So this is gonna be hard. Right. But I mean, but, but, but uh, before we before we talk about sort of that relationship, they, we do have a little cutaway back to the book, and then we go to Maleficent's castle for the first time, this fortress where we see her and her goons, which are those like goblin creatures. And like I mentioned before, Maleficent's castle—it's incredible. Like animation-wise, it is. There's a lot of detail. It is a lot of care has been taken into this. Doesn't match the whole the style of the the, the aesthetic is while while appealing and very good for the villain doesn't match yeah doesn't match with the preconceived sort of medieval style which is very specific you look at trees and trees look a very specific way you look at the forest scenes in particular are what look like Renaissance paintings yes like those are those yes. are just, mwah, you know but this looks nothing <coughs> like a Renaissance painting where I don't so anyway let's 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 put that. In the dungeon for now, and just talk about how, um, why does Maleficent rely on these dumb idiot goblin things, these goons? Who, it's like for the past 16 years, they've been looking for a baby. Oh yeah, that comes up. It, it's it, all, it, took, it takes her this long to realize that they've been searching for a baby. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, I'm done. Diablo, <laughs> go look. You- ah. Diablo finds it in like twenty four hours. Oh my gosh! Yeah, she should have relied on Diablo from the beginning. Yeah, like, like it, that. That Raven is the most competent. And I, I love the way she talked to him. Like, oh my pet, you are so much smarter than all these fools. Listen, go out there and search for a mate of sixteen. And the bird's like, yeah, no duh, they're idiots, right? Because <laughs> clearly that's what he's saying, just by his little movements. 
I love this bird. It's such an amazing bird. I love this bird. So off he goes. And then we go to the... Cottage. The woodcutter's cottage, which um, I like that it's like it's like a mill cottage. So it kind of reminds me of the Seven Dwarfs cottage a bit, but it's got a big tree growing through. Which is really cool looking. It's huge, big old oak tree. And then Aurora opens a window. We see her for the first time at 16 and she's singing. And of course, yeah, there's the gift of, of beauty, quote unquote. There's the gift of song. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, she's got that. And so she's just been living this life with her, her, uh, her aunts, her three aunts. And... <laughs> then we got another story flop. So they're preparing for her 16th birthday. They have to break the news to her at some point that she's got to go back to um, to the castle. But but they are planning to bake her a cake and make her a dress. Here's my question. They're, they're, the whole the comedy behind this is the fact they don't know how to do this. Not without magic. Not without magic. And they're like, well, how do we do this? We've never, and like, Fauna has no idea what she's doing. And like, it, it's as though she has no idea how eggs work or anything. And has no idea how to make, like, they don't know how any idea to make clothes. But here's my question. Okay. They've been raising her in a wood cottage for 16 years, supposedly without magic. How would they have not learned how to cook? How would they have not, where did her clothes come from? I'd like to argue <clears throat> and then also, yeah, that they that f- maybe Fawn is not normally the one who cooks. Because remember, I remember yeah, they yeah, they well, specifically say to Fauna like, "Oh, just let her bake the cake. It's it's her, what makes her happy." Yeah, and they maybe Fawn has always been a terrible cook, and but, they just kind of humor her this time. But it's like this is her sixteenth birthday. This is the last day. But she really, really wants to be the one to do it this time. Can't you guys okay. let me do it this okay, time? Okay, okay. I'll I'll, ex- <laughs> I'll I'll excuse that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not making excuses. I just I I, I where, argue. Where? But the clothing thing, yeah, the clothing thing. How did you could argue that they they've never made a dress that's like complicated like this before? But they seem pretty right. bad at it. Yeah. Maybe they bought clothes for her elsewhere. Like they went, they would go into the kingdom every so often and come back with clothes for her from a tailor mm-hmm. or something. But Meriwether, it's like, it's almost to the 16th. Like, uh, they're like, she's just like rare. And it's like, let's just use magic. Come on. Oh my God. I want to use magic so bad. You guys come on. Um, so I'm sorry. <laughs> they push Aurora out saying like, yeah, you got to go pick berries. Like you p- I picked berries yesterday, but we need more. But just go do it. Just do it, please. And of course, she knows that they're trying to plan something for her. Birthday. I think she knows that they're incompetent, but they're well-meaning. Yeah. So she probably rolls with it. Yeah. For all we know, Aurora could have made her own clothes and made her own food after a certain. Yeah. After, yeah. It's like, guys, just stop. She doesn't really question it though when she gets back and actually finds the cake and the no, the no dress waiting for her. But yeah, I have a theory, another theory that like they actually use magic more so than they let on. I mean, that's possible. Because they're because Meriwether was just like itching, like, yeah, let's do it. And they're like, yeah, we're going to use magic. Okay. Well, they, they were, it, it sounded like they had, I mean, they implied that they hadn't, but it, it was also possible they could have, because like, th- no magic. And Meriwether, in her crabby way, just goes, but the 16 years are almost over. And I'm like, mm-hmm. for some reason, when she gets kind of pouty like that, I can definitely hear Lady in her voice. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh- I, by the way, some of the lines that come during these, the, like the parts here, are quite funny. Like, the, <laughs> like 
It doesn't look good at all. That's because it's on you, dear. Uh, Again. Ouch. The fairies are the best characters, other than all the fairies, including Maleficent, are the best characters, and they're fun to watch, and I love their antics. This this whole scene where they're trying to make the dress, Meriwether's the dummy for, for, for Flora. Fonda, meanwhile, is trying to make a cake and is completely incompetent at it. She takes whole eggs and folds dough over them. (laughs) <laughs> now yeast, one tisp. Tisp? One, one teaspoon. teaspoon. So oh, one teaspoon, of course. And she puts a teaspoon in there. Yeah. And then, God. There's another bit of sight, a visual gag I always enjoy where they start reminiscing about how they're going to be sad that they're kind of giving <laughs> yeah, up their and, adoptive kid. And she's carrying the dough. She's, she's holding the dough, just like, just a tiny baby. And she's got this, like, completely, like, glazed over look on her face and meanwhile the dough is like melting in her arm and i'm like this is really funny visually yeah so um on and then uh, aurora is out and then she starts. oh but she's briar rose now. oh yeah that's and right I, that, that i understand like to change her name it's like if you're going undercover go by a different name briar rose sure yeah fun fact uh anybody who's familiar with the uh, if anyone out there is familiar with the the graphic novel or the the comic series bone by jeff smith he was hugely inspired by Disney cartoons to come up with a lot of his stuff. Um, he has two characters in there who are sisters, and their names are Briar and Rose. Aww. And the reason they have those names is because, um, again, he was a, he really loved he was really inspired by the the animation of Sleeping Beauty. Aww. For his uh, for his work in the past. So yeah, that's a fun fact about Jeff Smith. Anyway. Um, here's a fun fact about Princess Aurora. Uh, so the way she looks, like her body, was actually inspired by Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> okay which makes sense audrey hepburn is i really want to see aurora like dressed as um dressed as audrey was in breakfast at tiffany's now with a long cigarette oh and everything. my god <laughs> that'd be amazing pearls um uh, she's off in the beautiful renaissance she, woods she she sings in order to get the attention of all the forest animals like she hey! exhibits princess princess ability sing to call animals and she tells them like oh god i'm so sick of them treating me like a child what they don't notice, I've been dreaming of this dude. He's sexy as hell. Yeah, yeah, right, Gracie. He's all he, he's so cute. But then there's this. I okay, Prince Philip does arrive, and yeah, he does. In terms of a personality, he does have a bit of one. It's not much, but it's there. It's we get there. some characterization with him, which is kind of well, mostly between him and him and Samson, which Samson is his horse. Mm-hmm. Um. There's a good gag where he's trying to follow her voice through the woods. He promises to give. He's a little bit like a like a proto. He's like a proto Flynn Rider. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. So, uh, a lot of good good gag there. And then he falls in a creek, which is why he has to take his co- his riding coat and hat and boots off at one. And then that's the, an important plot point. Yes. And then the owl, because the owl spots that, and they're like, "Hey guys, she's been talking about this dude." Let's play along. And also, like, I'm really, really into this this human woman for some reason. So I want to be the prince for a bit. There's some logic defying movements here because they get him in the coat, and the two birds are lifting up the arms. There's parts where they're not lifting up the arms, and he's just floating. I know the owl has wings, but did you ever notice that? Yeah, his wings are under the thing. How is he flying? We don't. He's know. a float. The rabbit, the rabbit feet are jumping around underneath, but like, yeah, I, I don't. There's rabbits in the boots that are making the boots move. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we get. A couple more songs. We get, I wonder. 
We haven't really talked about the songs. The only other song before I, this I was told... was Health to the Princess, Wealth to the Princess, da 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 Aurora. Honestly, the one song that stands out is Once Upon a Dream. True. And which is lovely. It's a beautiful song. It's just Yeah, I agree, Gracie. It's just mm. <laughs> It's it's all right. It's the it's one right. really it's memorable right. song. It is, but it's just so it's again it's done to a tune of a Tchaikovsky song, which is meant for bra- It's meant for. It's meant to be instrumental, right? Yeah, it's not meant for lyrical. So, um, it, it sounds still lovely, but yes. Uh, but then the point there's a point where she's like dancing, and then Phillips sees her, and he's like. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna suddenly, <laughs> like, jump in and act like I'm dancing with her, and you can see her face just freaked out. Did this, okay, did this part make you uncomfortable yes, too? Yes, okay. because he kept holding her hand, she pulls away. And, and he, he reaches out to take her hand again, I'm like, bad touch, bad touch. And then pulls off, he's No like, means no, Philip. To the point where he's, she's like, well, we've never met before. And he's like, yes, we have, once upon a dream. I'm like, yeah, if any guy hold that line with me. I'd be like, no, we haven't. Go away. But this is a fairy tale. Yes. And therefore, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, again, we, we have to think of the context we're sitting in and the context they are sitting in. doesn't change the fact that it's still made, it's still, I look at that and go, and I pull my collar a little bit. Like, Philip, no. No, Philip. See, with this, it's like, okay, I don't believe their connection. I don't. Yeah, I, okay, that's the thing. I believe the connection between, uh, Snow White and her prince. But here's the thing. More than I, I believe it more with Cinderella and her, her prince. Her prince as well. Okay, but I have reasons for that too. Okay. With Snow White, she's 14. She's 14. Aurora's not much older, but. No, but like also, um, there's more of a, like, innocence with Snow White that I totally get. Yeah, a naivete. If a naivete. You will. To be fair, to be fair, like she's she's always talking about how how badly they like. I I wish they would stop treating me like a child, and I just want. Oh dear, you're 16. I know that's like middle aged in the middle ages, but even (laughs) so. Now with Cinderella, what you we see them like are walking, and it's over the course of a whole night. Right. Yeah, it's not long, but at least they have time to talk and whatnot. With Prince Philip and Princess Aurora. This is done in real time. That's true. They're only they only dance for like two seconds. Yeah, it only <laughs> like their interaction only lasts like a few minutes. And alright, there's a point where she's like, uh, no, I gotta leave. Well, when can I see you again? Oh, never. And I'm like, so she's like in this mix between like, I am uh, really uncomfortable here, but I do kind of find you attractive. She's like, well, maybe someday. It, it's that sort of like it, it's almost it, it's. What's uncomfortable about it, you could tell she really, it's like, I don't think she really wants to, but she does find him attractive, but she yeah. does, she's not totally into it. And then she's like, okay, how about tonight, I guess? Like, she's agreeing to it, even though he's just very, because he's just so strong. So, <laughs> but what, yeah. whatever. Well, also, again, she's a teenager, and after it at first, and, and, not, and not a very smart one. Again, if only Meriwether had been able to bestow her with a personality. personality. Anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I, there's there's really not much to Briar Rose there or Aurora. Isn't. There's not she, much to By her. the way, she has only 18 lines. Cinderella had a way more of a oh, personality. Yeah. Like 10 oh, times yeah. more of a personality. Cinderella, you felt for. I was like, like I will argue for Cinderella till like Kingdom Come. Oh, oh. that clock. 
Killjoy. Kill That's all she needed to say to win me over. Yeah. And then it's like, you feel for her. You get why she has this personality. You get, and you kind of feel the fact that, like, despite the crap she's gone through, she tries to stay positive. But you can tell it can be hard at times. That's personality. Oh, yeah. What is this? This, this is... That's not personality. It's a convulsion. It's no. <laughs> a, no, she's just a, she's just an annoying teenager. Like, her <clears throat> lines are just annoying teen lines. I stress again, the real heroes of the story are Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether. Anyway, back to them. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which... Uh, they're like... Oh, oh, yeah. The cake's a Come disaster. see me at the cottage in the Glen. Bye. But yeah, back to the cottage in the... Back to the cottage in the Glen. Uh... Cake looks like awful. It's not even baked yet. It's That's not the even other baked. crazy thing. And she's already putting ca- candles on it. And she's like, they're like looking at the dress and they're like, maybe it needs more ruffles. And Meriwether's like, oh, screw this. And gets the wand. And they're like, fine, but we really need to stop everything up. And of course, the moment they decide to use magic is, happens to be the moment when the- Diablo is flying by. And they decide to get snippy with each other. Uh, Fauna... Or Flora and Meriwether decide to get snippy with each other about the color of the dress. Now, ultimate question. Pink or blue? Doesn't matter. What's Aurora's favorite color? Well, I would presume purple would be a good mix of the two. And purple is my favorite color. So well, the dress should be purple. Well, also, here's another thing. Guess what color is her wrap? It's purple. Exactly. So... The dress should have been purple. Make it pink and blue. You get purple. Yeah, make it purple. That's chances are it's probably her favorite color based off what we see she her the wrap she wears. But no, their selfishness has to bleed through with yes, each other. Literally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um... <laughs> literally. As they're firing spells at each other to try and change the color, though, it, like, sends yeah. shots at the chimney, and that's when Diablo goes by, and he's like, Yes! Yes, it's the lead. It's the lead. It's like, wow, they really messed up here. They're they're pretty bad at this. They don't even notice him squawking and in, in uh, uh, he's him croaking when they notices like the stuff coming out the chimney. Anyhow, they they manage to get the dress going, but as soon as Aurora walks in, after after she walks in, he's peering around the door, the Raven. So it's <laughs> and she says, "Oh, the dress. There's a dress and a cake." They surprise her, and then she tells them, "Like I met this dude." Oh, but she's she's really. I will say for her credit, she's very very polite and uh, you know del- polite, polite and delighted and and generally seems grateful that her her aunts got together to do this. And it, it's true. Yeah, she's that's like, really. She sweet. hugs them and she's like, "You really helped make this the best day ever." And here's the other reason the best day ever. I met a man. And they're like, "No, you're not gonna date him because you're already betrothed to this prince." And then basically just spill the beans all together. Also, you're 16. <laughs> They don't say yeah, that, but, but you know they're thinking it. And she's all upset because she can't be with this guy she just met for two minutes. You can't marry a man you just met, said every Disney movie after after a certain year, because it became the thing to do to poke fun at old Disney tropes. Yeah, and then not only that, they're like, you can't marry a man you just met for two minutes. You have to marry this man you've never met. <laughs> It's more important you fulfill your royal duty and unite these two kingdoms. This is a political marriage. It's oh, a, it's, it totally is. Totally is, is. It's literally marriage for the sake of what marriage was intended to be, which was which is uh uh combining fiefdoms. Yes. You know, like <laughs> so she goes into tears, falls onto the bed, and oh, now woe is me! I don't get to have yeah, relations yeah. with the hot man I met in the woods who wouldn't let go of my hand. Here, here's another story flaw. <laughs> Why couldn't they have waited until the day after her 
16th birthday. They, she said until the sun sets. Yeah. Why did they have to, I guess they wanted to like, did they want to stick it to Maleficent? Just be like, see that we smuggle her back in here without you ever noticing. And by, and then we can all celebrate the moment the sun goes down because now she's out of danger. No, it should have been be smart. Wait until it's officially done. That way you've avoided her curse. It's like, too ba- le- <coughs> you, we can't do it anything anymore. I agree with you. I really but, do, like, actually. I do. I'm just saying, I agree with you that, yeah, that is a, that would have been the smarter move, is just to wait till after her 16th birthday and then take her to the capital, because then the curse does nothing. <coughs> but no, they have to do this. Uh, anyway, anywho. We this have- could also be the story of three good-natured fairies who constantly screw up and have to keep covering their asses. That's it. That's the premise. <laughs> this is, that's what it is. <laughs> This, this is the story of Sleeping Beauty, guys. Three fairies keep messing up, try to find ways to cover themselves. Cover yourself. Anyway, uh, then we get to, weirdly enough... After about, what, we're about, like, 45 minutes into the movie? Yeah, we suddenly are, like, taken to Stefan talking to, or which King Stefan talking to Philip's dad, King Hubert, who, by the way... Is played by Bill Thompson, who is awesome. Okay, it has to be stated, Bill Thompson. I didn't realize how many voices were were him, but yeah, he was the White Rabbit and the Dodo. Think about that for a second—the range difference between the White Rabbit and the Dodo. He was Mister Smee. Who? Yes. He was, and uh, then he did a bunch of voices. We didn't know this at the in time. Lady and the Tramp. I, I call. I I, I I I kept saying he was that one bulldog. Yeah, he was a bulldog. He was Jock. I did not. I'm sorry. I didn't right. realize he was Jock. But yes, I was right. So you're right. Ah, 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 and now ah, he's ah. playing King Hubert, and it is awesome. It cannot be understated how talented, and I think unsung maybe to a degree he is as a voice or he was as a voice actor. So there you go. So we get this whole weird scene of them talking about their kingdoms being joined Are they, as they're, they're getting try- as they're getting drunk. Like no, this is the scene. <laughs> Like they're so the the song is scumps, which is basically they're like to, a toasting song. So they keep saying, "Oh well, we're gonna here's the uh, two. It'll be half an hour till sunset. I can't wait to see my daughter again. Yes, and I can't wait to have your daughter marry my son, so we can unite our kingdoms. And I'm like, we're this is all happening now. We're discussing this now. No, I mean, I mean, they probably decide, but it's weird. It's a weird place to have it in the movie. Yeah. Like, and I think we needed to have this. I think it should have happened. But the placement of this scene seems very odd to me. And then also, also. So much has already happened. In the background of all this, her comedy relief, I guess, is the bard. Eric Idle. Right. Er- so anyway. Eric Idle. He looks like Eric Idle. He does. <laughs> Drinking wine. Like, sneaking, like, sips of wine. I'm sorry. Gulps of wine. I'm sorry. Cups of wine. I'm sorry. Entire loots of wine, wine eventually. Into his, in, to his gullets. As, and basically, by the end of it, it's just passed out, drunk on the floor. I love the bit when he's snoring into the, the, the loot. loot and you, and it's the sound of the strings going. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a weird scene, and I guess it kind of works. I, I mean, it's fun. Mm. No, it's funny, but it's. Oh, it does lead eventually to King Huber being like, oh, Prince Philip's back. And Prince Philip's like, I met a chick. I literally rode back here so I could tell you I'm not going to marry Aurora, even though we've been betrothed for all this time. I rode back just to tell you that. Now I'm going to turn around and go back to the woods and back to the cottage. Bye, Dad. And King Hubert's like, oh, dang it. I have to tell King Stefan this now. 
I like that he, I like, I do like, again, this is another place where I th- feel like they they try to give Philip a little bit more personality. Yeah. Because he's talking about like, father, I'm in love with this peasant girl and I don't care what you think. This is the 14th century, you know, that kind of thing. And get I'm with like, the times. Get with the times. So he goes off and I guess he missed, uh, he misses uh, Aurora. Aurora, Flora, Fauna and Meriwether, who, by the way, they've completely revealed that they're fairies now, too, because yeah. they have their wings and their old outfits again. And they escort a cloaked uh, Aurora back to the castle, and they escort her in secretly. Now, like, norm- all under the cover of darkness. Now, normally, Aurora would, like, any normal person would be more, like, just shocked by the fact this secret was kept from them and would be upset and horror, like, being like, you guys are fairies this whole time. Like, fairy, like, this exists, and now you're telling me, like, I'm this princess and you've lied to me my whole life? And just devastated over that. No, no. And you think they would also explain to her, here's the reason we had to do this. There's a freaking evil witch fairy demon that wants you dead. And we had to go to great lengths to keep you safe or else she was going to find a way to, like, put you into an eternal slumber. But But they don't tell her this at any point? No, no, they just... They never, never on camera. I kept hoping that maybe off they would do that. But maybe she doesn't believe them. I don't know. No, she's here's the thing. She's just too upset that she can't meet the guy she met for this. Because uh, remember, she starts crying because she met can't be with the guy she met for three minutes. That's her main concern. But I, it's you're all you're always keeping me down, you guys. I, I, why can't? Why is it that when I meet a cute boy, I can't just like you can't just trust me? I'm 16. I'm not a child anymore. Where? Oh, God, I just. <laughs> and to which Meriwether's telling him was like. You know, this is why I don't like Maleficent. This girl could have had a personality. This girl could have had a, a whole life. She could have spent her time in this castle with all of these people and actually learned to do stuff. And you can tell they feel bad about it. Oh, no, they, they do. They feel bad about what they had to do. And there's actually a couple... One thing is they animate a couple moments where they're, like... This is earlier on, but, like, they're actually in tears. Like, they're, they're like... We're going to miss her. And they're like, it's okay. We had 16 years with her. They said, yeah, 16 wonderful years. And it's just that there's a heart. There's heart there. Again, I got to stress it. The fairies are so great. Mm-hmm. And I love that they have their out in the little antechamber outside of her room talking about how there really wasn't anything we could do. But I do feel bad because, yeah, you know what? Maybe we should have let her meet this guy. But we have our duty. We have to do this. And I'm like, no, you don't. You could bring her back the next day. Unless they're paranoid that this guy is a trick sent by Maleficent. Yeah, exactly. always Because they didn't realize that. They don't they realize that this is Philip. They could have Phillip. said that. They could have done any. I don't know. Again, it should be stressed. No, no one realizes that the two people who are already betrothed have met each other. And they're supposed to be falling in love on the pretenses that they fell in love naturally. And not just because they were destined to be together. But, that but they're actually destined to be together. Well, I mean. And there's, but but, but that, it, ma- it makes more sense if they actually have time to even a little bit of time, it can be done in montage to show them developing something of a connection. Instead yeah. of just, we dance for two seconds and I'm already into you. Yeah, like there could have been, you know what could have been cool? Like we could have seen her growing up, maybe like during that time, like having secret meetings with him. And that would have been nice. That would have been interesting. And then they were planning on their 16th birthday to run away and all that. That would have been cool. It would have de- it would given Aurora a little bit more of a rebellious personality. Yeah, and then just a little bit of one. I but then again, poor, fairy tale. Again, Walt didn't want to do story meetings, so. Well, okay, now that's all starting to come together a little bit more too, because the story is pre- other than with the fairies, it's a little weak in some places because they're again poking holes in the logic left, right, left, right, and center. This wouldn't have been an issue if they just brought her back the day after, or even then after sunset. 
They could have rolled in that night and been, ta-da! Now he, they do another flock. They left her alone! Yeah, well, they yes. thought they thought they were scot free because they're they're dumb and didn't realize that that Diablo had seen everything. Although the funny, by the way, the funny part is, uh, <laughs> like, there's a point where like, uh, like Aurora's been put under like I guess Maleficent spell and she's a, like following this green light into. That's this is a cool scene. I yeah, like this. It scene. is actually really cool looking. Yeah, but Flora's like, wait, something's wrong, and, and they like, hear the music. I'm like, wait. How are you? Is this background music actually playing? Do they hear this? Well, they. This is the interesting thing I found out in the original um, Sleeping Beauty by Tchaikovsky in the ballet part. This music played when there was a couple of mischievous cats doing mischievous cat oh. things. So when you hear Maleficent's theme, you know this da 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 da. It's actually cats. Huh. But it works because it's like this. Yeah. There's something kind of hypnotic about this music. So it's like, I like that it's like beckoning. It feels beckoning. Yeah. So you got this like glowing orb of fire that is luring, uh, that is luring Briar Rose, Aurora, whatever, down a passageway behind the fireplace. And the fairies hear the music. I swear. Cause it's like, wait, did you hear that? And you hear, I'm like, I love that they're suddenly aware of the background music. Yeah, I know. And they start looking for her. It, they it, get lost in these like maze of passageways. Uh, but. Yeah, yes. Guess what, guys? She pricks her finger. Maleficent turns the ball of fire into a spinning wheel and orders her to touch it. And they get in there right after she touches it. So and she's Maleficent's like... Maleficent's like, <laughs> Wow, you simpletons. You couldn't beat me. May, the, the mistress, mistress of all evil. Again, Eleanor Oddly is a goddess. She is... Oh, I love I, I love her so much. I love her, too. Oh. Uh, you know what's funny? When you think about it, she only really voiced three characters in her time at disney it seems like lady tremaine lady tremaine uh maleficent and i think her last big role would be madame leota mm. oh my favorite role my favorite <laughs> my, role. mine as well i mean <laughs> granted maleficent is a tough act to follow yeah but it's madame leota it's, it's madame, madame leota, leota. She only has as much personality as was given to her in the ride, but that said... But Eleanor, oddly, is able to... Like, you could tell she's taking such delight in evil that she does. It's like, that's... mm. That laugh is so good when she's like, I won, I won, you idiots, I won. And she shows them uh, Aurora passed out on the floor, and she's like, bye! She teleports out. And of course, that's right... Like, it's literally a hair's breadth before the sun sets. So you actually see the sun go down... So uh, they're all getting, the kingdom's getting ready, and they're like, sun's down! Fireworks! <laughs> oh, and, and Hubert's still, there's still this subplot about Hubert being worried about telling Stefan that uh, Philip doesn't want to marry his daughter. So as they're, as he's just about to tell him, um, the fairies are like, you know what? We done bad. They 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 do <laughs> they do set up uh, Aurora in a nice bed and everything. No, tuck yeah. her in, give her a little rose to hold. Make her look all presentable. But they, they're like, we done, we done messed up. So, um. We have to make sure no one knows about this. So they put everybody, the whole kingdom under a slumber. So they're all asleep. They, uh, they, they just go around and, you know, render everyone (laughs) unconscious. It's just kind of ridiculous. It's, it's kind of humorous. Like some of them are like, like just kind of passing out onto the floor. Some of them were just like falling asleep while standing. Uh, 
I like how some of them just like, oh, I'm asleep now. And their chin just droops to their chest, but they're still standing. But there's a point where, like, King Hubert is slowly going to sleep. And this actually is a plot point because uh, uh, Flora hears, like, him saying, oh, Prince Philip has met this peasant girl. And then Flora's like, wait a second. And then asks her. And she says, he says, where did you, where did you meet her? Once upon a dream. And she's like, oh, clicks. Oh, no. What have we done? Oh my gosh, what a happy accident this is. Yeah, I know. What a happy accident. But so. at the same time, oh my gosh, guys, we have to get to the cottage. So Prince Philip is Because going if, to- if everybody, because if Maleficent knows about all this, it's very by the, likely. By the way, best bird ever. Best. So the bird not only told her, this is where they are. Oh, and by the way, Princess Aurora has a crush on this one dude and he's coming by at, at night. So- and how what? much how much extra dead mice do you think he got? Oh yeah. <laughs> that is one good bird. Um so. Yeah, most competent minion. So yeah, Philip rolls up and knocks on the door of the cottage and he even like looks at Samson like, Oh yeah, how, how do I look? You think I got this? And, and the horse is like, look, You yeah, got, got this, this bro. bro. <laughs> so he rolls in and immediately gets ambushed by like a dozen goons. And Maleficent is just watching this with this the most the biggest look of delight on her face. And I just... And she's like... Oh, gosh, she's so good. Yeah, and then she's like, oh, I thought I was expecting this peasant dude. Nope. I got a prince. Hell. Well, this, this works even better. The irony here. Yeah. So there's a point she takes him to his king... To her kingdom. He's locked in the dungeon. Oh, and when Flora... He left his hat behind. So that's how Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether find out. And Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's how we learned that her fortress is called the Forbidden Mountain. So they're going to have to get on a, on a train at Animal Kingdom and ride it up into the hills. And they're going to have to deal with the Yeti. But we don't see that part. Instead, we see what happens when they actually get there. So. And, and again, this is the part where I told you is like... Like, a, her castle looks amazing. Amazing. The dungeon looks amazing. Doesn't match with the stuff. But okay, anyway. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is if any, if anybody wanted to, if and if anybody wanted to argue that no, this really is Aurora's story. Considering she's comatose for the last like third of the movie. Yeah. Um, and this is all this is where all the really good stuff happens. All the action happens. Literally everything agency wise that happens is the fairies. In this oh bit. yeah, they're so, the ones who have to sneak into the fortress. So by the way, uh. No, no, no. Cool part. Maleficent. We're at Maleficent's castle, and then we look in, and we see, uh, basically the fire from the night of Bald Mountain and Fantasia appear. All the goons are dancing around. I love the music in this part. They yeah. they really chose the music from the musical wisely in these scenes. They did. They really did. So or Malefic- the ballet. Maleficent's like, hey, hey, Diablo, let's go mess with the prince. And yeah. Diablo's like, yeah. So they go down to the dungeon. There's the prince, and um, Maleficent tells him like. No, you should be happy. Guess what? And I, this is actually, I like that she takes delight in this. And it's funny because. This is shows how she, she's, she's a villain who delights in the concept of being evil. Yes. And like, it's evil awesome. brings her joy. So in the original story, it is a hundred years, like, uh, with Sleeping Beauty that a uh, hundred years pass and then a prince comes to go, uh, rescue her. Right. So this is what she says. So he's like, uh, all this, your princess is actually Aurora, so that's a good thing. And she's under a slumber, and you're supposed to go kiss her a hundred years from now. And she showed, there's an animation of him walking, like, uh, or no, not walking on Samson, and he's like, got a big beard. He's like a hundred. He's slouched on the saddle, like he can barely keep himself up. Like, and so old. And then the music is all triumphant here, which makes it even better. And I love that she's just like, 
yes, off he rides to greet his love. And I just love that she's just like, he. he's probably going to keel over and die before he even gets there. Or yeah. It matter. He's and just, I'm going to make you suffer for a hundred years. It's like, you're you're stuck for a hundred years. But then, it, but she's But like, what is a hundred years to a steadfast heart? But but, but a day. Exactly. And then the funny, heck. You met this girl in only a few minutes, so imagine how long a hundred years will be. Anyway, uh, but she's like, how lucky for you. You have so much to look forward to. It's like, wow, that is so amazingly evil. She is such a terrible person, and I love her. And then she leaves the dungeon, but of course... Um, Fairy. for the fairies are here hearing about this. Diablo kind of catches on to that, but he, he waits. He like goes off with Maleficent and, uh, she locks the door to the dungeon. And I love that she says, for the first time in 16 years, I will sleep well. She just, I love that she just confides. You can tell that she holds no one as close as she holds the raven. Yes. Like, there's something delightful about that. Too. Yeah. This is a, this is a woman who clearly loves her pet. Yeah, she does. <laughs> so off they go. Um, the fairies come in and they're rescuing pr- the Prince Philip. By the way, they said, uh, most of this you're going to have to do on your own. And both David and I are like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and they were right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, you, we, we, they, they, they really, they spend the next like good chunk of this doing everything they can to protect Philip. Oh yeah. They are still the ones with the most agency. So when like they give him a sword and a shield. And then when Diablo finds them out and calls the goons and they start attacking with spears and, and stuff, they're, they're constantly transforming their weapons into harmless things like bubbles and flowers. Yeah, and- he, they're really helping him out. Like, like, oh no, this thing, like the bridge has fallen. We gotta help him, like, fly over cross. Like, they're doing everything they can to help him. They have enough time to actually set up. They're gonna dump burning oil, I presume, down on, uh, Philip as he's trying to ride out the gate and they create a rainbow to protect him. Um, and when Diablo, and Diablo's leading, and by the way, Diablo's leading the charge this whole time. He's the one flying around squawking orders at the yeah. goons. So finally he gets fed up and decides, I gotta go tell Maleficent. And Meriwether is, this is where Meriwether steps up. And I'm like, this is, this is to me is interesting. Earlier in the film, she said, we can't do anything to break the curse or, or attack Maleficent because our magic is but only she used for good. chases him and like bothers him and then turns him to stone. I'm like, doesn't that basically kill him? Yeah. Like she turns him into a statue. Isn't that basically... Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, it, it's it, it conflicts with what they said. But what's, what's funny is she turns him into a statue, and then when Maleficent comes out, she turns to the statue and goes, tell those fools to... No, no. And I'm like, aw, that's the final straw. They killed her bird. Yeah. They she... killed her bird. So, and then actually, this is a cool way to insert the thorns, because in the original story, the thorns were there because... It had been a hundred years, so they had grown in. So Maleficent causes thorns to cover the kingdom as a way to prevent Prince Philip from entering. Again, very smart idea. I like that. She's really, really determined to not let. Like her pride is on the line. She can't let this this go through because again, her pride was already wounded at that party, and for sixteen years she's held this grudge. I, I get the impression Maleficent is the kind of person who holds grudges and. It's tantamount that she never lets her ego get bruised. Like, yeah. once she sets out and sets something, it's that way forever. And if it ever goes awry, that would be such a blow to her ego. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, if he just went and woke up Aurora, it's like, she could easily just be like, well, but she doesn't. No. Nope. She puts everything on the line for this. So. But I, mean, I guess she kind of underestimates Philip and the, the fairies. 
Yeah, I think so. so. And then mostly the fairies because Philip's kind of. Eh. I mean, to be fair, he's competent. He is competent. He's a competent horseman, and he actually is a competent fighter. Yeah, but yeah, a lot of the help comes from the fairies. But then the cool part comes where Maleficent comes and says, "Now you have to deal with me." Me, the mistress of all evil, and the powers of hell. And I'm like, yes. Yeah, she appears. Yes. In a, she appears in a burst of fire, and she turns into a dragon. And it's awesome. Oh. It's so awesome. Oh, I don't care that the animation doesn't match up. It's so awesome. Yeah, this is a really good scene. By the way, so for the dragon breath sound effects, that's caused by a flamethrower. Nice. And castanets were used for the snapping of the, her snapping jaws. That sounds right, because I think they did the same thing for the crocodile. They did. So anyway, that's going on. There's a huge battle, and... The fairies continue to help. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. How, how she's able to be defeated is they cast a spell on his sword, so when he throws it, it actually hits her. It, it beds in her heart, and you actually see her bleed. Yeah, so that's on the fairies. I love, I noticed with the detail, and again, we found when streaming this on a, on a TV, like instead of on VHS, you can see the detail a lot better. I noticed that she rears up with this sword in her and you see the blood trickle out. I didn't notice her wings like flap and spasm a little bit and then go limp right oh, as she starts to fall toward him. That is good. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's good. So, and then she falls. She f- now, okay. Yes. I, no, hold on. Yes. Hold on. Yes. The sword kills her. She's, I, I but, argue she's but, dead or dying but she before fall, she hits but the it's, cliff. But it's called the plummet counter. But does the fall what kills her? No, well, it might have. I don't know. But it's the same, we said the same with the, the, the evil queen in the beginning. She falls, but guess what probably ultimately kills her? The rock that falls after her. Well, if the fall doesn't kill her, the boulder does. Or the vultures that come to eat her. I'm, but it's the plummet counter. What we're doing is called the villain plummet counter. Okay, so, so far. <laughs> It's plummeting to, to their, their death. To, okay. So they it might it might not be so here's the thing. It just has to involve a villain falling as they're dying or leads to their death. Okay, so somehow the villain is the villain uh, a fall leads to the villain's death. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that said, I'll, I'll okay, I'll grant you that one. So mm-hmm. we can set the plummet counter up to three. There you go. Alright. So um yeah, we and then uh, all that's left of Maleficent is a is a black. I, I assume her cloak on the ground with a yeah. sword embedded in it. Mm-hmm. Um, she did. She did. She did. So he goes up and he kisses her. Now with this, it's not as creepy as with uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs because she's not in a glass coffin. Yeah, I presume <laughs> she's not dead. Well, first off, it's not. She's not. She's presumed. She's Everybody a- knows she's not dead. Like that's that's been that's common knowledge. For Snow White? No, 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 no. no. Sleeping, Sleeping Beauty. Beauty. Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's not, I'm agreeing with you. And she even, they, like, he was basically informed, no, like, your kiss will wake her up. Like, this is all confirmed. So he's basically saying, yeah, I'm doing this to help save her. Not, mm, she's so beautiful. Even in death. And even in death, I gotta kiss her to wake her. No, this is something he knows. So well, the, 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 the waking her up was a happy accident in Snow White. So. Yeah. Surprise! What do you know? Uh, anyway, so he kisses her, she awakes, and Hubert's about to tell him, and then all of a sudden it's like, no, they see Aurora and Philip together, and Hubert's like, but I don't, what, what? Okay, sure, why not? So, now, you don't see them get married, but they do just kind of dance. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and Aurora gets reunited with her parents after 16 years, and yeah. that's kind of nice, and, mm-hmm. and the movie just kind of ends. ends. 
with them dancing and Aurora or Flora and Meriwether doing their doing their pink and blue thing. So her dress changes colors every few seconds while she's dancing. <sighs> yeah. Um, and it's over. Yeah, it's over. It. Which- you know. When I'd said earlier that I had, I watched this movie a lot. I did. I, and I still enjoy it, but I definitely see more of like what is kind of flawed about it in places. I still think it's, it's for what it went through. I think it came out relatively okay. Mm-hmm. And as, and I love the parts that really do work. Yeah. Some of the parts that work, they really do work. Maleficent feel- is incredible. The fairies are fun. The, um, the, some of the visuals are really cool. Um, but the, the stuff with Aurora and Philip is kind of meh. The whole thing with Stefan and, and Hubert is, it's all right. Just. It, here's the thing. Really, really strong moments amid a kind of flat story. It is a flat story. And it, I, do you think that's the, and that's partly, but that's also partly the fault of the source material, but I, also partly. I disagree. And. I disagree. But partly, but also because Walt. Wouldn't I, budge. I think it was the story honestly, meetings. No, I'm sorry. I think it's production problems. Because well, yeah, that's like, part of it. I, I still loved watching Snowing the Seven Dwarves. I still loved watching Cinderella. I was engaged by those stories. This not so much, and that I think is because of. Let's face it. This had a lot of production problems. This went through like three different directors. This Walt wouldn't agree to story meetings, which he should have. Mm-hmm. There. Sh- should have been more communication during that. And I feel that the film suffers because of it. However, it, but that's, this is coming from, from a normal viewer, it's fine. If you watch it as just a normal film, or if a kid watch it or. Which is what we did. It's fine. Like, it's it's really fine. It's actually, it's still enjoyable. It's still beautiful. Still work, yeah, still a work of art, technical Technically impressive but work of animation. There's, there's always like, but there as a normal viewer, there's like, there's something off. And then you talk to me who has a film degree, who knows how to study film, and it just becomes bothersome and bothersome. <laughs> and that's the thing. I that I can't. There's some films I can watch, um, and I know it has like a lot of like problems, but I can still enjoy it. This one, it just. I, I, I have, I struggle. I, I, the flaws are, there's too many flaws for me. But, it's fine. But for a normal viewer, it's fine. It's I, fine. I still, I still think it is, I still think it's a fine movie. It's still fair. And again, has moments that I just really, really love to watch. But as a whole, and we were sitting here going, wow, this feels long despite the fact that it's only what, like a 75 minute? Yeah. Or like 90 minute? It's only time? 90, it's only like 90 minutes and I was just like this is this feels long. We're almost to 90 minutes come to think of yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this feels long. I was I was already like I'm tired of this movie. I I it's, it's gone on too long. So, well, I think I think I can I can say that I, I of the movies we've watched so far, there are other movies I like a lot more. Oh yeah. Um oh, yeah, there are there are package films that I enjoy more than this one, but Same. but only a couple. And to be fair, we did just come off of Lady and the Tramp, which I found, which I hadn't seen a ton of in the past. And rewatching that with fresh eyes was like, wow, um, technically and story, story wise, like this is a much stronger film. Yes. Like Lady and the Tramp. So, um, so yeah, um, int- um, so that's, so that's Sleeping Beauty. Um, and I don't, I don't want to go away on a downer because like I said, I think, I think the parts of the film that work, that do work, do work and, really and well. And again, it and it is- does give us, 
it is the film that brought us Maleficent. It gave us Maleficent. And Maleficent is an amazing villain. I will not doubt that. Maleficent is an amazing villain, and that is mainly in part due to Eleanor Audley. We should talk sometime when we get a little further in about, like, our top five, uh, like, our personal top five Disney villains. Oh, yeah. I think that'd be a lot of fun. That will be fun. Um, Because I can tell you that... I. I, I can tell you Maleficent is in my top five, Same. hands down. The, I can tell you another one is in my top five right away. What? Oh, Captain Hook. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So our next film uh, we'll be reviewing is 101 Dalmatians. Now, this, hey! one, this one is a bit more special, uh, not because of the film itself. I mean, the film, I ha- it's, here's the thing. With that film, it's been so long since I've seen it, so... Mm-hmm this will definitely be, like, a fresh pair of eyes. Like, this was not one of the films that I watched at 14, so it's been years. Like, oh, I used to watch this one a lot, so... Uh, but we're going to be watching this and reviewing it at Walt Disney World. Hey! I know! That's right, guys. We're going to Walt Disney World. This is a trip we've planned for a while, and we didn't want to leave anybody hanging, so while we're there, we're going to record. Yeah, uh, so uh, I look forward to that. Yeah, me too. Um, I look forward to going to Disney World, <laughs> but it's, it'll be nice to do both. Yes. All right. So, uh, thank you again, uh, for listening to this episode. If, uh, you're not, if you can, uh, go ahead and, uh, give us a, a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Uh, we're not fishing for this sort of thing. We just enjoy getting together every month, watching a film together and talking about it. We've had a lot of good guests on the show, too. We want to have more as well. And if you derive enjoyment out of it, hey, let us know. We are always happy to get feedback. You can reach us on Twitter at AnnaMusingsPod. You can shoot us an email, um, which is uh, AnnaMusings at... I believe it's AnnaMusingsPodcast at gmail.com. You can do that. Do we have any other... I always forget. I think that's it, right? Yeah, that's it. That's, right pretty, that's fine. We don't need a ton of those. I mean, Twitter's probably where we're the most active, to be honest. It's true. I would agree to that. Yeah. So, um... Or you can follow us on our um, personal podcasts. Our, not podcasts, I'm sorry. Our personal Twitters. Uh, I'm at Canary T Robot, and um, David is at Scary Sauce. I don't have a personal Twitter, but the uh, the joint Midnight Marinara and Undercooked Analysis Twitter is the closest thing you'll get to that. I tend to talk as myself through the, that a lot, so... Um, yeah, feel free to reach us out through there. We will respond very ha- Happily. Um, Alright, well, Kayla, thank you again thank you. for being my, my partner in crime and um, the person I do walk with once upon a dream. Oh. Oh. So, about that outfit, though, I think we should make it pay. Wait, what? Hello, this is Brendan Creasy, and I'm the host of Radio Brendo Man, a podcast on the Benvy Network. I'll be interviewing a new guest each episode on the show. We'll be talking about creating things, all things geek culture, movies, TV, and all kinds of other stuff. If that sounds cool, check out Radio Brendo Man at RadioBrendo.com, BenvyNetwork.com, or in your podcast app. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.